Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Would you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 18, please? Now we're going to have an extensive look through Jeremiah, so... I don't know what those little pads are called that they used to have in a post office that had water and like a sponge and you used to kind of dip your finger in it so you could count your notes or file through bits of paper. I know you don't have one of those to hand, but it would have been good if you did because we are going to do a lot of turning. But it's all going to be mainly in one book, so um, I'm sure you'll be able to keep up with me this morning. But we're going to read Jeremiah chapter 18, starting in verse 1. If you're there with me, you can just say amen. We're going to read through to verse 11. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I said I would benefit it. Now, therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you, Return now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. Last week, Pastor Patrick took us on a, a mini adventure, straddling the Old and the New Testament. Would you turn just to just flick over to Jeremiah chapter 2? And he mentioned two sets of three things. Two sets of three things. He said, first of all, he said, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Quoting the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. The second set of three things he said was worship, commit yourselves to the word of God, and third, commit yourselves to service to God 
and others in 2 Samuel 23. Two sets of three things. And one of the questions he asked was, is Jesus worth the sacrifice? Not because we have to, but because we get to. And he looked at servants who were desperate to serve their king. But the question I want to ask this morning is, what happens when you don't want to? What happens when you don't want to serve the king? Now, today's message is called, God wants to make something of you. But what happens if you don't want him to make something of you? Well, let's look and see an example of, of exactly that. What happens when the people ain't feeling God? Jeremiah is the autobiography of one of Judah's greatest prophets. During the nation's darkest days, apostasy, idolatry, perverted worship, moral decay, and hence an avalanche of judgment was coming. And Jeremiah has been called to proclaim this message faithfully. In response to his sermons, the tender prophet of God experiences intense sorrow at the hands of his countrymen. Opposition. They're not trying to hear God's word. Beatings. Isolation for Jeremiah and imprisonment. It's no great wonder that Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. But though rejected and persecuted, he lives to see many of his prophecies come to pass. By and large, his warnings of coming disaster went unheeded. Jeremiah is a heartbroken prophet with a heartbreaking message. Now, Jeremiah's prophetic career began 600 years before Christ. And his ministry lasted approximately 42 years. Israel, as a 12-tribe nation at this point, was divided into two distinct portions. 12 tribes in the north, known as Israel, and two tribes in the south, known as Judah. But they were all Israel, but they were identified by those two specific names, Israel, 10 in the north, Judah, the two tribes in the south. And it is to Judah that Jeremiah finds himself called to speak God's word. The ten northern tribes had 150 years previously horribly backslidden to the point where Israel in the north, the ten tribes, the major portion, they were so wicked and bad, God could hardly find a prophet among them of their own people to declare his message to them. So he had to send prophets from faithful Judah in the south who most of the time were not heeded. And ultimately, God, after an extended period of grace and patience, brought judgment using the nation of Assyria who took the ten tribes in the north into captivity. 
It was unprecedented and irrational. It made no sense exchanging their glorious living God for worthless idols. And utilizing the metaphor of marriage and speaking as if he were Israel's husband, God began to recall the loving dedication and devotion that his bride had exhibited for him in the early years of their relationship. Before the split had taken place. In Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 2 it says, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you. I remember the kindness of your youth. I remember the love of your betrothal. At that time when you went after me in the wilderness. You remember that time? When God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now everyone knows the story of Israel's slavery and captivity, right? Under Pharaoh for 400 years. From which they were wonderfully delivered. Through Moses, who was a type of Christ. And God made a covenant with them. A blood covenant. A binding covenant. And momentarily, the nation of Israel made a commitment to God. They dedicated and devoted themselves to steadfast allegiance. They had, in Exodus 24 verse 3, said, All the words that the Lord has said, we will do. But, by the time Moses goes up the mountain, 40 days and nights, just over a month later, Moses comes down the mountain, only to find the people worshipping an idol. Already. So the sweetness... The passion of the relationship that they had with God was only short-lived. You ever had that when you've been in a relationship and it's so sweet. Words can't describe. You can't eat. You can't sleep. Because the relationship is so sweet. And nobody understands And you can't even clearly communicate. But you know it when you have it. But that's what God had with Israel, albeit momentarily. Very often, whenever God blesses abundantly, initially, there's great gratitude. When a person experiences a marvelous change in circumstances... There's an initial overwhelming. Now, Max stole my thunder, but most of you probably saw Alexandra win the X Factor last night. She was overwhelmed, right? All the lights, the cameras, special performances, national and international audience. I mean, she was overwhelmed. I mean, who doesn't Alexandra love? 
She was like, Simon, I love you. Cheryl, I love you so much. It's funny, when Matt prayed it this morning, he said it to the Lord. Lord, we love you so much. He was overcome for the... For better reasons. I can't even say for the wrong reason. Because she's overcome for a good reason. She won, innit? But Mac was overcome. Hopefully we were overcome. Hopefully we are overcome by the goodness of God to the point where we're overwhelmed. You saw it spill out a little bit over him. Like when you bump a cup and some of it comes out this morning out of Mac, right? She was like, oh, she's over... I love you. JLS, I love you so much. I've got a big up um, Tim and Ella. You know that Tim and Ella, Tim's at the back. I'm in late today. It's all good though. I'll give, uh, we got grace for him because he was up in Birmingham. Was it Birmingham, US, bro? Where was that? North London. You can't even speak. Look. <laughs> oh, Ellis here. Fairfield Halls in Croydon. Oh, how, how did you manage to be late? But anyway, um, I'm joking. It must have been a party last night still because they are um, related, um, Ella, yeah, Related to one of the brothers in JLS. I don't know which one of the guys it is. So commiseration, commiseration still. Um, but my girl's JLS, I love you so much. I, I can't forget Beyonce, I love you so much. When you get blessed, especially when you realize where you're coming from, you're overwhelmed. Did you see... When they kind of reminisce and they go back to the beginning of their journey. In our early clips, Alexandra, jeans and a t-shirt and her hair pulled back in a ponytail. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. How many of you know you ain't never going to see Alexandra getting on a bendy bus? Her life has changed. Her life will never, ever be the same again. I mean, even if she flopped. Look at Whitney Houston. Flopped. But you know you ain't ever going to see Whitney Houston jumping on some Greyhound bus going across states. It's not going to happen. You know what I mean? There's this overwhelming sense of gratitude. Tears and unbridled emotion. In public. And this is what Israel was like initially. But it's not long after that the heart begins to change. Now Israel, remember, one nation split into two. Israel, the tribes in the north, Judah's sister was now in captivity, being judged for her sins, right? She's in Assyrian captivity. Judah's still free. Now, why is, Assyri- why is Israel in captivity? You got your Bible open to Jeremiah chapter 2, right? Right. Let's get ready for a whistle-stop tour through at least the beginning of this book. Verse 11, Jeremiah t- chapter 2. Why did this happen? Verse 11. Has a nation changed its gods? which are not gods, but my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this. Imagine God calling the galaxy to witness this. 
when we see what takes place on this planet as minuscule as you may feel your life is, it's cosmic what is going on in your life. God calls the heavens to testify. He says, be astonished and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns at that, that cannot hold any water. Verse 17, have you not brought this on yourself? In that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way. It's not even like you got lost. He's been, I've been leading you. Verse 18, and now you want to go in another direction. Why take the road to Egypt? Have you so quickly forgotten that you were in bondage to Egypt? Now you're trying to make your way back. To that place of bondage, that place of slavery. How many of you know that speaks to us as believers with reference and regard to that which the Lord delivered us out of? Peter talks about the dog who returns to his vomit and the pig to its wallowing in the mire. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 19. God says your own wickedness will correct you. And your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. Drop down to verse 27. Look at the second part of the verse. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. Uh, think about that for a minute. Imagine you're talking to someone. They're looking at you, but they've got their back to you. Now, it's you or it's me. Or let's say I turn my back on you. Now, at, at worst, it's cheeky. You're talking to me and I've got my back to you. I'm like, yeah? What? Uh, uh, yeah, all right. By the way, look. Yeah, let's go on. I'm not... I'm not facing you, at least 90% of me isn't, but 10% of me is giving you like a, a minute or two. Yeah, 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 what, what? Yeah, all right, whatever. I've got my back to you. Now, it's one thing me turning my back to you. I mean, who are you? It's one thing you turning your back on me. Who am I? But God says his own people have turned their backs on him. Yet they're giving him their face. You see what's going on here? Like an animal on heat. For the things that they're actually facing, that is that their body's facing, that they're really 90% giving themselves to, like an animal on heat for those things, as opposed to God. Like an animal on heat that sniffed at the wind in her desire for other lovers. Chapter 2, verse 20 through to 24. 
For of old I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress. Now that's what you said as you turned your face to me. But the truth is, when on every high hill and under every green tree, you lay down, play in the harlot. You see how graphic the language is. God is talking about spiritual sexual immorality. It's not sexual, it's spiritual. But he's using a sexual connotation to communicate just how off-key his people are. You lay down, play in the harlot. Yet, I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. In other words, your spots and blemishes, no matter how much you shower, are still apparent. See, they can only be erased by one agent. And it's not Ajax, old school, or Silit Bang, new school. Verse 23, how can you say I am not polluted? I have not gone after the Baals, which are idols. See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary. That's a camel, right? Breaking loose in her ways. A wild donkey used to the wilderness. Now, would you stand behind a, a camel or a donkey when they're trying to break loose? Well, that's what Israel is like. Trying to get away from the one that has nothing but love and commitment so that they can run off to go enjoy themselves momentarily. A wild donkey, verse 24, used to the wilderness. That says a lot about her. That sniffs at the wind in her desire, in her time of mating, who can turn her away? I mean, she doesn't even sell herself. She gives herself away freely. All those who seek her, will not weary themselves. They don't even have to break a sweat. Run a mile or jump a fence to get her. She comes looking for them. In a month, it's easy to find her. That was Israel. The ten northern tribes. I turn to chapter 3 and listen to verse 10. And yet for this, excuse me, and yet for all this, her treacherous sister in the south, Judah, has not turned to me with her whole heart. It'd be like, Judah, you see what your sister's doing? Yeah. What do you think? What do you have to say? Oh, you know what? I can't even lie. It looks tempting. Furthermore, later, I'm gone. But I can't really leave. But I'm backing out the door 
with my back to you and smiling with my face. See, Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense. Note that, says the Lord. But watch, in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. When difficult times come. Because you know what? The difficult times will come. I mean, the difficult times have come for so many. But we have not seen anything yet. In the past, I warned you about your casual harlotry. Jeremiah chapter 3, look at verse 9. So it came to pass through her casual harlotry. Now the Bible doesn't use empty phrases. Note that. It's that dichotomy that Richard was sharing about. It came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Now, you know, the stones and the trees it makes reference to are the idols. Idols of stone that they carved or idols of wood out of trees. And, you know, today, nothing don't change. There ain't nothing new under the sun. We're still taking God's materials and making idols out of them. Rather than worship the creator, we want to worship that which is created. And, we're, and you know what? What we tend to do is, I may not be interested in your idol, so I will fashion my own. And I'll fashion it out of that which God has created. And today, we fashion our idols out of metal and out of plastic, cars, jewelry, clothing. Verse 10, and yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah, after seeing what has happened, look at Assyria, they're caught now in, they're walking through the forest and having a good time with their lover and then, blam! You remember them old, olden days traps that they used to have? Where you step in it and it, like, 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 like I used to ride BMX back in the day, freestyle BMX, and they used to have these, these um, pedals called Victor Bear Traps. And listen, if you put your foot on them pedals and you've got good trainers, your foot ain't coming off because they proper grip your shoe, right, your trainer. But woe betide you if you got like Adidas Jogger. Like back in the day, that's a slippery bottom trainer. No grip on Jogger. You could run in there and go, Psh. If you step on them, 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 them pedals with like slippery trainers and your foot slip off them pedals, ask any, any guy, anybody who rides BMX here yeah, to show you their shin. Sorry, I never creamed my legs today, but <laughs> mash up. Because them, them, them pedals, they would eat into your, into your flesh. And they see, and this is what has happened to Assyria. They've been walking with their lover and then boom. They get hit by this trap, and the trap is now eaten into the flesh. God says, Judah, look and see what is happening to, to your sister Israel. But you know what? 
Judas blinded. Verse 10, yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart. And see, and, 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 and the thing we need to see is that it's not a complete turning away. There's a partial commitment, but it's not any real commitment. Because the real heart desires something else. It's that picture of insincerity, pretense. You turn your head, but you're really giving me your back. In chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Jeremiah says, God, you are near in their mouth, but far from their mind, says Jeremiah. They had forsaken the Lord and were now going to pay, stay with me, um, in those early chapters, you're in chapter 3, right? They had forsaken the Lord and were now going to pay the consequences for their rebellion. Chapter 6, verse 10. Last week, Pastor Patrick said, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. I will pour it out on the children outside. And on the assembly of young men together, for even the husband shall be taken with his wife, the aged with him who is full of days. And their houses shall be turned over to others, fields and wives together, for I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. In one of the later chapters, God says, fathers and mothers will eat their children. Why? Because a siege came where the enemy wouldn't allow anyone out of the city. And they didn't draw any swords or anything. They just waited. Week after month after year till the people starved. And they literally ended up saying, imagine, imagine. The, and I'm, this is horrendous. A picture, but I'm going to paint it. Imagine us saying, shall we eat? my son Jordan today, or should we eat Fox's little baby? Now this is history. This is not poetry. This is what happened to not just the people, this happened to God's people. Verse 13, because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, that's the leaders, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt, that is the leaders of my people, slightly saying, peace, peace. Telling the people, don't worry, we have the temple, we're the people of God. You're blessed coming in, blessed going out. You're the head and not the tail, you're above and not beneath. This is what the leaders were telling the people. We're the people of God. 
peace, peace when there was no peace? Were they not ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all. Far from ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time I punish them. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is before you took the way to Egypt. Go back and walk in that one. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Verse 21, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people and the fathers and the sons together shall fall on them. The neighbor and his friends shall perish. Thus says the Lord, behold, a people comes from the north country, which is who? Babylon. And a great nation will be raised from the farthest part of the earth. And guess who raises them up? God does. When nations rise and fall, very often we feel like, well, it's because of the political persuasion of the people determined by their vote. And yes, it is. But at the end of the day, God is the one who turns the king's heart with us ever he wills. And we see things taking place and we need to be quicker to stop and say, Lord, you know, what is really happening here? Rather than, I think like Pastor Ephraim said a couple of weeks ago, you know, Barack Obama being voted into the White House could seem like a great thing and it could well be a great thing. But it may be a horrendous and a terrible thing. I think before we go, hey, or boo, we need to say, Lord, what's really going on here? It may be nothing, but you know what? It may well be something. It says, Babylon, a great nation, will be raised from the farthest parts of the earth. They will lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses. As men of war set in array against you, O daughter of Zion. Now turn back to chapter 4. Notice, I want to just make a point of this man of war who is set against God's people. Chapter 4, verse 6. Set up the standard towards Zion. Take refuge, do not delay, for I will bring disaster from the north and great destruction. Look, the lion has come up from his thicket. Now imagine a lion coming for you. And look, the destroyer of nations is on his way. God is so, in the midst of this, God is so merciful. The warning is so stern, but God says, look, they're not at the door, they're on their way. So you'd think, what would you do real quick? Like, who did Jonah, who was Jonah sent to? Nineveh. You'd be like, you know what, destruction is on its way 
for a good reason, a valid reason, and it's your fault, what are you going to do about it? I mean, a lion coming for me? And, and it's God that sent it. God that's released it. The destroyer of nations. When I think about this destroyer of nations, I think about a, a gladiator-type character. You know what I'm saying? Like a, a, a trained Roman centurion who draws his short sword, he's got a small shield, and he's got his battle gear on, and he's running towards you. I mean, the bread is a trained killer. He's going he's gonna to mutilate you. It would be bad enough if you was on a journey going somewhere and you accidentally came across this type of character. But it's a completely different thing when God is the one who commissions him to come for you. And you're not going to get away, oh Israel. And when he comes, he is going he's gonna to do what he's trained to do. My mind just goes to so many different places in the scripture where this happens, but we don't have time to look at those examples. I think this one is clear enough without support and evidence. The destroyer of nations is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make your land desolate. Your cities will be laid waste without inhabitant. Turn to to Jeremiah chapter 9. Now, remember the title of the message. God wants to make something good of your life. God wanted to make something good out of Israel. Look at Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Come on now. But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. What you have in your relationship with God is worth much more. Name it. It's it's worth more than that. Let him who glories, who rejoices, and it gets excited and is overwhelmed... Be overwhelmed by the fact that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord exercising, watch, loving kindness, judgment. Now notice what comes before judgment. But if loving kindness is rejected, judgment will follow. Loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Yet, God continues to show mercy, encouraging his people to give heed to his warning, but no. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Hear the words of this covenant. And speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say to them, Jeremiah, thus says the Lord God of Israel, cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, 
which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace. See, they forget what it was like, saying, Obey my voice and do according to all that I command you. So you shall be my people and I will be your God. Does that sound familiar? That I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. See, it's good at the moment. And I answered and said, so be it, Lord, said Jeremiah. Then the Lord said to me, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, hear the words of this covenant and do them. Don't just hear them, do them. For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt Until this day, rising early and exhorting them, saying, Obey my voice. They could never say that. Oh man, look at what's happened. We never knew this was going to happen. Verse 8, yet they did not obey or even incline their ear. But everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do but which they have not done. God, now in recognition of his own people's stubbornness, says to Jeremiah, you know what, Jeremiah? It's all right. Jeremiah, things are so bad now, don't even pray for them. Look at verse 14. So do not pray For this people, or lift up a cry, or prayer for them. For I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. And again in chapter 14, don't turn there, verse 11. And the Lord said to me, do not pray for this people for their good. I mean, it's one thing someone saying, oh man, don't bother pray for the Muslims. You'd be like, yeah, for real, man. But when God says... I mean, because you know, you know at the end of the day, you're going to be like, oh man, I've got to pray for them still. Imagine a 13-year-old boy straps high explosives to himself and goes and blows up four English soldiers. You think, oh, how can I pray for them people, Lord? But we know we're called to pray for them, right? But imagine, not the enemies of God, the people of God, and not just any old somebody says, no man I can't find it in my heart to pray for them God says you know what don't pray for them anymore because you'll be wasting your time do you think the Lord is serious or he's I don't know do you think this is some kind of like figure of speech like he don't really mean what he's saying verse one of chapter 15. Let's see how serious God is. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable towards this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. I mean, if the Lord had just picked one of them, if he just said, boy, you know what? Even if Moses was here, and prayed for them, I wouldn't be hearing him. I mean, 
Moses, Moses was the one who held back God's judgment from off of the children of Israel so many times. Even to the point where he himself got fed up and said, child, I'm missing about the people no more. Sure. And then he, he humbled himself and he went and prayed. And, and even then, there were some times where you saw the Lord break out on his own people. We want meat to eat. He brought us out of Egypt. When we was in Egypt, we was fine. We had onions and melons and leeks to eat. You bring us out of the place to bring us into some wilderness. All we got is this dry old manna. Tired of this manna. You know the word manna means what is it? We're tired of this. What is it anyway? And God says, Moses says, Lord, they're killing me. They want meat. So the Lord's like, all right, then what? They want it. Even after I've provided for them. Look at how much I've already, for real, look how much you already gave them. And they want, they want more. You're providing for them. The shoes ain't wearing out. They want meat now, Lord. All right, then. All right, Moses. Well, let's give them what they want, innit? I don't think it's what they need, but I'm going to give them what they want. And here it comes. Quail that flies 10 feet above the floor, the ground, so they're easy to catch. And they get the quail and they, and they cook it and they eat it until it's coming out of their nostrils. Like, oh, I never, ever, never want to eat quail meat again. And you see, that's what the Lord will do sometimes. It's not what you, what you need, but it's what you want. And you will kill yourself to get it. And God will say, boy, you know what? All right, then. Here you go. Until it sicks you to your stomach. Until you hate it. Until you hate yourself for wanting it. Moses would be one thing, but even if Moses and Samuel, tag team, went on a 24-hour prayer chain, I still would not be hearing them. And these are men that were exemplary with regards to intercession in the Old Testament. Is God serious about the fact that he ain't hearing it? He ain't feeling They weren't feeling him. So, hey, all right then. Well, how about I'm not feeling you no more? Imagine having God say that to you. You know, I'm really, I'm really fed up now you know when you, you say that to your kids right and they be like in their mind I know that you love me still I know you ain't going to throw me out yeah see God switches and now all <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 5 Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. Remember Lot and Abraham? They were fighting over the land. Abraham's like, you know what, bruv? Tired of the fighting. You know what? You just take what you want. Just take what you want, bruv. And Lot's like, yeah, I know the spot that I want. I want that section over there, the lush part, where the town's, the city's jumping and there's a blue haze over the city. That's what I want. And he goes for it, innit? Because it looks good in the natural. Not knowing, because no one had ever mentioned it, at least in the Bible, as far as we know. No one had never mentioned the name of those cities. But where did he go? 
Where did he pick? Handpick? The brother handpicked Sodom and Gomorrah. See, but look, look, look what the Lord says in verse 6. He says, you know what? You will end up like Sodom and Gomorrah, like a shrub in the, in the desert. What happened to the good times? What happened to the moe? What happened to the crystal? And what happened to the, the nice shiny car with the 24-inch rims? And what happened to... I mean, the Bible clearly tells us not to lay up our treasures on earth. Because they're only going to rust and rot. I mean, you, don't, you only have to be alive for about 25 years to begin to fully be able to appreciate that. If you're under 21, maybe not. But when you begin to get a bit mature, you're like, wait a minute. I think I must have bought about seven cars since I started driving like 20 years ago. And every single one of them cars, when I first bought them, I thought it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Like walking around it, come out the house and... You know what I'm saying? You come out the car and turn off the alarm, and as you're going through the door, you have to just double, double take and just have a look and just, yeah. God, yeah. It's like seven times, when am I going to realize that, hey, lay up our treasures in, treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt. God says you will be like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see when good, when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. And some of us know firsthand what that's like. We know what it's like to appreciate God who's the fountain, as we said so earlier, the fountain of living water. I tell you, it's funny because the Bible describes God in very simple terms very often. You can read over that. The fountain of living water. But you try and get on without water. I mean, water is so cheap, yet it's so priceless. Now they're bottling it and selling it, right? How does, how does, how does that work? But you can't do without water. You only need to go a day or two. They say you can go like a month without food. But you know, you can't live without water. You can't go like, I don't know... Any doctors in the house? How many days? You can't go six days without water. Four days. Can I get free? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, you can't live without water. God says, I'm the fountain of living water. We're supposed to hear that and go, what? You're supposed to turn your back on the stuff. You know what I'm saying? No, so you're supposed to turn your, yeah, turn your back on the stuff. At that point, I'd be like, what? You turn your back on the stuff and look at it over your shoulder and think, what? How can I compare you to living water? But you shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. But look, verse 7, blessed is the man or woman who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. It's not even what he's going to give you. It's him. Because if you've got him, you've got everything that you need. I lie. Whose hope is the Lord. 
For he shall be, she shall be like a tree planted by the waters. You heard that one before. Which spreads out its roots by the river. And will not fear when heat comes. Sorry for the brother out there in the parch, in the sand dunes of the desert. I'm sorry for you if you ain't got no roots. Or if you're out there and you don't trust in the Lord. I don't care how nice things look at the moment. But you know what? Those that trust the Lord have spread out their roots by the river. Huh. You can, you can draw moisture from soil when there ain't no water for a long time. But you're not just in dry places. You're by the river. Oh, my goodness. That means the source ain't never going to run dry. And will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green. And I think of John 15, and you'll bear fruit. Will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor Cease from yielding fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains, and sweet fruit. You ever, you ever, watch this. You ever thought about how on earth you can get the sweetness from a mango when all that nourishes it is water and soil and little sunshine? Oh my goodness! You know, as believers, we can thrive on all that the world thinks is what? What? I ain't got time for that. Are you mad? And we, sub, we, sub, we submit and subject ourselves to what? To that. Like Daniel. Mm-mm, you know what? No. I don't want all of the fancies and the and mm-mm. Just give me the plain old plain old. That's all I want. But very often we don't have a palate for that. We want that which is tasty. See, living water producing sweet fruit. God wants us to be sweet, not for ourselves, because how many of you know trees don't eat their own fruit? The fruit's for other people, it's for others to enjoy. Now, listen to this next very common verse, but in its proper context, right? Verse 9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it see at this point we need to do like David is it Psalm 139 where he says you know what Lord search my heart you search it because I know if I search it I'm going to skip parts and portions but if you search it oh my goodness Lord oh did you have to point that one out oh see because our heart is wicked And I'm not talking about the people outside of Christ. I'm talking about us as believers. Our hearts are wicked. Sometimes if you don't mind sharp, your heart will run off with you and you have to, hey, come back here. What are you getting with them thoughts, them kind of thinking? I mean, desperately wicked, deceitful. That's tricky fight. Trick you. Hoodwink you. To the point where afterwards you're like, oh, I can't believe I've done that. That's right. Because your heart will trick you. That's why you say, I can't believe I've done that. It just proves the point that the fact that your heart is wicked and it's deceitful. (sighs) 
I, the Lord, I search that heart. And I test the mind. Think about Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, The word of God is quick, King James. It means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing asunder soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the what? Thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's word, like this morning, like for you and for me, is the only thing that can get right down into the heart of the matter and expose it for what it is, and you say, oh my goodness. That's me. You'd be like, that's me? Yeah, that's me. You know what I mean? And it's only God's word that can do that. See? Searching the heart, testing. That's why we've got to expose ourselves to it if we want to be pure. Because at that point, we need to respond. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And there's so much in here with regard to thought, word, and action. Very often, we do the stuff that really starts in the heart or in the thinking. That's why the Bible says we have to repent, which means to change the way that we think. Because if we change the way we think, it will result in a change in the things that we say and in the, in the way that we act. Incidentally, since the first time that Jeremiah prophesied this morning, or was it this afternoon when we looked at chapter 2, since that time, based on where we are now, 20 years have passed. People will be like, where's all this judgment that man's been chatting about from morning? Where is it? That's all long talk. 20 years later, still no judgment yet, just bare warnings. Warning, warning, warning. Oh, who's it? It's Jeremiah. No, just, let's ignore Jeremiah. How many years we've been hearing that? Bread, I come out with nonsense. And the funny thing is, I was going to say that old man, but he wasn't old. Because in Jeremiah chapter 1, we find that Jeremiah was a young man when the Lord called him. Young man. So he's, I don't know, maybe in his 30s. I suspect, at least. And even if he's in, even if he's in his 40s, <laughs> like some of us. You know what I mean? He was still a relatively young man. So it's not even someone that you could really just cast off. He'd be like, oh, here comes Jeremiah again. Yeah, all right, Jeremiah, yeah, whatever. Right? 20 years have passed. There's a message in that. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 21. Easy to find the chapters this morning, isn't it? Verse 21. I spoke to you, watch this. I spoke to you in your time of difficulty. I spoke to you when times were hard. I spoke to you late in the day. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, I spoke to you in your prosperity. But you said... Like most people in their prosperity. I ain't trying to hear that right now. I'm too busy right now, you know, bro. 
Come and check me later. Or come and check me. I heard someone say, genuinely, they, I don't know how old they were, about maybe in their 20s, genuinely said, you know what, I cannot serve Jesus. I can't do the church thing because I'm too young. I need to go and live my life. Wednesday night at Bible study, I think we were just talking about a young guy who came to Bible study one night, sat in the study, and that night, for some strange reason, it's not even strange, but everything was directed at this brother. I mean, the guys were like, on this brother. Oh, you know, you need to get saved because he weren't a Christian. You need to get saved. You need to give the Lord your heart. You need, to, you need to come into a relationship with Christ. You need to ask God to forgive you of the brrrr. Two weeks later, the guy dropped dead in his um, office. We know that because he worked in the same kind of thing as, what do they call that? Complex place? Industrial estate as Tabitha. Sister Tabitha. The brother dropped dead. He'd be like, you know, very often you say to people, you know, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow, you know. And we say that. But we don't say that because I heard him say that, and I think that's a good thing to say because it sounds convincing, right? So we say it because it's true. Two weeks later, the guy was dead. See, we've got to heed the voice of God. Just because it's the voice of God. You know what I'm saying? He says, I spoke to you. I told you. I warned you. But you said I will not hear. This has been your manner from your youth. I've been putting up with this from you for time. That you did not obey my voice. I spoke to you in your prosperity. I spoke to you when everything was going well. It's like, psst, Israel. Don't forget that you used to be slaves and I delivered you. Psst, Judah. Don't forget the commitment that you made to me. Psst, Alexandra. Don't forget when you go to number one at Christmas where you're coming from. Robert, I'm warning you. You got what, four or five different trainers, a couple pairs of shoes, two suits, getting into the suit thing kind of nowadays, and a couple trousers, and a couple of nice little garms, and a nice little car that's paid for, and Robert, I'm warning you now while things are good. Calvary Chapel, South London. Take heed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not hear. I'm not going to do what God says. Now, we don't say it like that, do we? I'm not going to do what God says. Now, we don't say it like that, but in our hearts, we say it. Some of you, you don't say anything. You just ignore. So it says in Hebrews 2, it's the problem ain't that you rejected me, says God. The problem is that you neglected me.
See, like someone who's just had a one-night stand. See, guys are real good at letting females know that, hey, you know what? Yes, me and you. And me, yeah. You look so great. Jeez. And I mean, and, and a woman's just won over immediately. See, but it's a one-night stand. It's all lies. And she'd, be, and she'd be like the next day, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you return my calls? <clears throat> Didn't you get my message? Why won't you speak to me, she says to him. Not knowing that he doesn't, he doesn't care for you. He'd rather spend time with another. See, casual harlotry. God wanted to make something good of Judah. And you would think that Judah would learn wisdom from a distance, but nah. Judah then begins to be unfaithful to God. Now adulterous Judah begins to chase other lovers, stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, nationally and personally. God warned Israel. God warned Judah. Goodness, I've got five minutes left. Is that to the end of the CD or to the end of an hour? End of an hour. Oh, that's not too bad. He says. <laughs> We've been trying so hard to cut the messages down. <sighs> you feel my pain? I know Ephraim feels my pain. I know if Patrick is here, he'd feel my pain. P. He's probably listening to the CDP. You feeling my pain, bro? God has God warned Israel. God warned Judah. God has warned this country, England. This country has enjoyed a wonderfully long and extended honeymoon period. God warns individuals. God warned a man called Hananiah in chapter 28 of this book, who came out in the light of what Jeremiah had been saying, contradicted Jeremiah, chatting back, you know what, in two years, this is them fake prophets, they're normally like this, in two years, God's going to deliver us out of the hands of the Babylonians and he's going to break the yoke of the Babylonians. And everyone, yeah. And Jeremiah said, yeah, all right, then safe. That's the word of the Lord, right? Jeremiah turns and walks out and the Lord speaks to him and says, you know what, go back and tell them. You, I forgot to mention, they break the yoke that Jeremiah comes walking in with, right? The wooden yoke. You know what a yoke is, right? That they tie to oxen. So you're strapped to something you can't get unstrapped from. And he comes in with this wooden yoke. Break the yoke. Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord. The wooden yoke that you broke, God will replace with an iron one. And Hananiah... You talk about in two years' time, the Lord is going to bring deliverance to Judah. Hananiah, hear the word of the Lord. By the end of the year, you'll be dead. Two months later, they're burying Hananiah, the false prophet. God warns individuals. God is warning me as a Christian leader. God is warning you. 
I encourage you to listen carefully. Now, we are going to run through chapter 18, literally, because there's not a whole message for me to come back to. And I should have mentioned that the introduction was going to be 90%, and the text was actually going to be about 10%, so I'm not rushing it in the sense that you're missing out. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying... Now, God is about to speak. You should be excited and thrilling. It's living water. Arise, Jeremiah. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words, Jeremiah. Now, God is about to speak to the prophet by means of an analogy. It's like an object lesson like we used to use back in the days in children's ministry that they still use. Then I went down to the potter's house, verse 3, and there he was, making something at the wheel the potter's house this is his business premises this is his work studio and he was making something the potter had a goal he had a a purpose he had a desire to make something a pot a cup a basin a bowl a vase a plate we're not sure what but he knew what he was doing and he's a qualified potter. He knows what he's doing and he's in the process of making something. He had determined to produce a particular type of vessel, verse 4, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. The vessel which he had originally determined to fashion failed. So he took the same material, the same lump, and created a completely different vessel. According to his own desire, or as it seemed good to him. Now remember, this is an analogy. God is trying to communicate a message to Jeremiah. Verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. In other words, your life is in my hands. Your life is not in yours, it's in my hands, says the Lord. The encouragement is respond to the hand of the potter. That's why I don't, at this point, I haven't had any further clarified information. That's why I don't agree with what is taught on the basis of Romans, is it nine, that says God is the one that determines your salvation. I'm saying now it's a we ain't got time to go into that. But when I look at because the reference is made to the potter. I'm the potter, you're the clay, I make what I want. Says the Calvinist, with reference to the fact that we are made to be what we are. And you've got, no, you got no choice in the matter. God will save some, and he won't save others. Now, it's a deep theological argument that has been discussed for thousands of years, 2,000 years. And it's still being discussed. I'm just saying at this point, I haven't fully concluded that that is exactly what's happening. Because when I look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 18, 
in its context, is talking about, please respond to the hand of the potter. Please respond, Israel. Stop doing that and do this. The instant I speak, verse 7, concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck it up or to pull down and destroy it, if that nation against whom I've spoken terms of evil, term, turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak, in, I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build up and plant it, if, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Pharaoh, let my people go. No. All right then, bruv. I'm trying to form you ten times. I'm trying to form you. You're not having it. All right then. I'm now going to form you into another vessel. And I'm going to use it for my glory. And then what? You stand up before me on judgment day and tell me, why did you make me like this? I never made you like that because I wanted to make you like that. I had another chance. I had another purpose for you. I wanted to do something with you, Pharaoh. Your name could have gone down in history in the way that it didn't go down in history. Esau, the same for you. Why would you sell your birthright? You donut. Why? But he did it by his own choice. Okay, fair enough. Now that you've done that, fine, I will deal with you accordingly. I will now, in response to what you've done, do my will. It wasn't, it wasn't God's desire to destroy his people. On the contrary, he wanted to bless them. But because of their persistent hardness of heart, they left God with no alternative. Jeremiah continued to preach, check it, for a total of 42 years to deaf ears. Ultimately, the Babylonians came and took Judah into captivity. Okay, so how does this relate to us? As we try our best to wrap this up. Well, we are just like Judah. In that, we have to make some decisions. The choice is ours. In 2 Timothy 2 chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. It says you be diligent to do that. God is all the while working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Therefore, work it out. That which he worked in, right? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort who have looked strayed concerning the truth saying that the resurrection is already past and look they overthrow the faith of some nevertheless the solid foundation of God stands having this seal the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity why verse 20 but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. 
therefore, if. If anyone cleanses himself or herself. Who's, is that God's job? God has his big part to play and it's fundamental. It's primary. Without it, forget it. You can make as much choices as you like. But if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. What type of vessel do you want to be? Whether you like it or not, you're on the wheel. And you will, you will be a vessel. God wants to make something good of you. He wants to make something good of me. Please take your relationship with God seriously. Remember, God is the fountain of living water. But God also, like the other side of the coin, is a consuming fire. Jesus is the silent lamb before his shearers. But he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus can save you or Jesus can tear you. You don't want Jesus to come running at you with sword in hand or sword in mouth, should I say, Revelation 19. He's the universal savior, but at the same time, he's the universal judge in the cosmic court of the ages. Now, I'm done, but I just want to mention something really quickly to you. Myself, Ephraim, and Patrick, myself, Ephraim, and Mark, I tend to mention them two guys' names so often, it rolls off the tongue. Myself, Ephraim, and Mark went to California. And I tell you, see this chapter? This chapter never really meant much to me because I'd never really studied it, read it, but never really studied it. But when we saw what we saw on this particular day, it changed my understanding of this chapter forever. And what happened was at Costa Mesa... They invited this guy, they called him the, was it called him the Potter Man? Or something like that. I was like, the Potter Man, who's he? Someone said, oh yeah, he does this thing with pots and clays and, uh, and a wheel and he's a potter. We're like, oh, yeah, all right, whatever. And um, we just never had nowhere to go, I think. And we just ended up in the service. There's about, there's only about 50 people there. Now this is a 3,000 seat auditorium. About 50 people there. It was like in the middle of the day, like two o'clock in the afternoon, a couple Bible school students and a couple people. And we're sitting there, this... I got the DVD, but I couldn't find it. I think I lent it out, and I never got it back. But, sorry, I don't want to make anybody feel bad. (laughs) I'm not sure, actually, who I gave it to. But this guy was at the front of the church. Everywhere was kind of like, all the lights were dipped. And this guy was at the front, like all the lights on him. He had this big, massive wheel. And he got this massive lump of clay and dumped it on this wheel and started spinning this wheel. Right, bruv, have you ever seen anything like that, bruv? I'm a lion, Mark, I don't know if Mark's here, he can testify. When this guy started spinning this thing, 
and started to try and mold this bit of clay without water. It was like, oh man, look at that, you can't work with it. He got some water and poured it on the thing and he began to talk about the work of the spirit. The water of the spirit and the thing just began to just, oh my God. And it wasn't, you tend to think of a potter and, a, and, and like a potter and you think of someone with a kind of tiny little thing with a, kind of just his hands around, you know what I mean, this little jar or this little bit of clay. This piece of clay, let me tell you about this piece of clay. He started molding this thing, yeah? And as he started to mold it, it was just amazing to see. But there was a point where the water ran out.